0: There now follows a public service cooking announcement from Willem Defoe. The chicken is in the pot, owner. Cook it. Roger that. For another FudsonFilm.com podcast I am Craig Eastman and with me tonight Drew Tavendale. Uh, Scott Morris won't be joining us tonight Because reason, reason, reason Uh, He's got far more important stuff on uh, Than uh, talking to you Or to I, or to Drew And frankly, who can blame him Because what a bunch of scoundrels We all are Tonight, for no good reason other than we felt like it, we are going to be talking about the Jack Ryan movies. Uh, So without further ado, I suppose we should probably crack on. Um, Bit of a potted history on celluloid and a recent attempt to reboot the franchise. Jack Ryan, the creation of Tom Clancy, has so far been the subject of no less than five celluloid ventures. uh, Coming in at something like, am I correct in saying uh, the 84th? Most lucrative uh, film franchise <laughs> to date. So not the <laughs> not the uh, top of the tree, but
1: the fact that you've looked that up at all um, is only slightly less baffling than that somebody would create that list in the first place. But okay,
0: absolutely. You're just going to have to take my word for it. I've pulled that figure from completely off the top of my head. It's somewhere between 80th and 90th something. I don't know. I, I assume anyway.
1: Sourced from the never wrong wikipedia
0: no no um from the even less ever wrong imdb trivia probably um and we all know the uh the veracity of that so i guess um yeah we all probably know the jack ryan movies right or at least most people will be familiar with them in passing um yeah, but- i'm
1: not even sure they, would, they wouldn't even know that name some people but i think for october you'd mentioned people knowing, vaguely know what you're aware of it's mm. certainly not an obscure thing by any means
0: no, absolutely. So I guess okay. So you've you've name checked uh, the first entry in the the series, nineteen uh, nineties hunt for red October. Um, so probably worthwhile kicking off with that first. In submarine movie, uh, is probably the answer you'd get um from most people. Um, a couple of people I've, I've asked actually haven't been aware of the fact it was a Jack Ryan movie, and there's probably a couple of reasons for that, but. Directed by John McTiernan, uh, straight off the back of Die Hard, mm. bringing along with him director of photography Jan de Bont. And watching the film again now, uh, for the first time since probably it first came out, the thing that struck me immediately was quite how similar in terms of uh, appearance uh, to 1988 Die Hard? Was, oh, how can I forget what year Die Hard was? 1988. It must have 1988. Yeah, thank God for that. Totally. Sorry. Okay, now I'm thinking.
1: this.
0: <laughs> I would have had to have punished myself if that was... Uh, 1988, yes,
1: we're both. Yeah, right, we, can, we can allow ourselves to live.
0: Excellent, excellent. So, coming straight off the success of uh, Die Hard, McTiernum has handed this project. And for my money, actually, right off the bat, I'm just going to say that this is probably, by some margin, my favourite entry in the franchise.
1: Oh, yeah, I'd have to agree with that, absolutely. Now, unlike you, I am not unfamiliar with it since it came out because I watch it all of the time. Well, a bit of an exaggeration, <laughs> but um, I do. <laughs> I do have a bit of a thing for submarine movies, and this is far and away my favourite. Okay. Uh, I've actually found that yeah, I just find this endlessly watchable. It's um, I mean, it's because it's just it's just like a really good thriller, with you know, it's got a quality director who, having come off the back of Die Hard, as you say, at the top of his game, really. Mm. Um, you've got very very dependable cast, Sean Connery. Um who's Lithuanianist? because people keep casting Sean Connery with accents he has yeah. probably never even heard of. But I
0: think that at the time and, and ever since, that's one of the things this movie's uh, most remembered for, is that so many people seem to be hung up on Sean Connery's accent. It became something of a joke, and I actually find that a little bit... I find that a little bit unfair, to be honest with you, because I think in a movie where very few people are actually trying to put on Russian accents, I honestly I didn't... I expected it from memory... And from other people's um poking fun at it, I really expected it to detract more from this uh from this recent viewing of the movie. And actually, I found that it didn't at all. Well, I didn't. I didn't feel it was particularly out of
1: place. Well, see, even then, to be honest, I don't know if it's just because he can't do them, or mm. I'm sort of more used to his his relaxing. I can always hear that underneath. Um, I mentioned his accent, but it's not like he actually really puts one on in this. No, um, you know, us. It must be like the f- um, fourth or fifth time I watched The Untouchables to really notice that. Oh, he's actually trying an Irish accent and I see. people have told me that I'd never noticed because you couldn't tell. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I think the hunt for Red was a bit the same there. And yeah, not that many people as you see are putting on an accent here. There's Peter Firth at the start who also gives gives <laughs> a go um, speaking a bit of Russian. <laughs> yeah, um, for, Sam for Neal, a short while. Sam Neil, and for the main cast, that's about it. It's like mm. Tim Curry's basically being English in it.
0: Um, yeah, that's, I I started I uh, I sat there watching this and I thought I made the mistake of sitting trying to take notes and I got so far before I realised that this is I'm actually enjoying the the film far too much to spend time taking notes. Mm-hmm. But and I'll probably need to bleep this. But the first note I've made here, if I look at it, is f***ing hell Tim Curry is in this, <laughs> which I don't. <laughs> I don't remember at all, and he's not in a—he's not in some sort of camp role or some no, sort of scenery chewing, overblown. It's one of the—it's one of the few sort of kind of straight, toned-down performances I've seen from him.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not—it's not, it's not a particularly remarkable performance, but it's entirely competent mm. and quite. I'm well, not to say that Tim Curry's any competent, but he yeah, has quite straight for him. Um,
0: yeah, I—I—I th- I th- I feel like it's fair to say that the you know his more memorable performances have been when he's—he's he's bordered on the sort of histrionic. That seems to be his stock in trade. And it was actually quite surprised to see him pop up here because I had no recollection of him being in it. And that's probably to his credit because if it had been some sort of overblown performance, then I surely would have remembered. And here he is just a kind of functional, you know, officer, um, sort of a a reasonably high ranking member of the crew who Mm -hmm. just sort of can't go, you know, uh, not to ruin anything, but knocks about performing his duties and um, keeps himself to himself for the most part.
1: I'm not gonna go out to spoil things deliberately, but if you've not seen a twenty five year old film and we're talking yes. about it as a retrospective, let's not do worry too much of it, spoiling anything, okay?
0: So besides the fact that Tim Curry is in this, playing I think actually he's the ship's doctor, isn't he? He's right?
1: the, he is the doctor, yeah.
0: Yeah, he's just he's the the doctor, so there you go. Um I guess yeah, being pleasantly surprised as I was about how well this film appears to have aged, I was um I was generally taken aback, and I don't—I don't—don't pay a great deal of heed to Metacritic scores because I generally tend to find that for any given value of Metacritic score, Metacritic is wrong. Um, but that's the problem with taking an average. But yeah, I was actually quite surprised to see how fairly lowly ranked this was, at around I think a score of about fifty-eight. Fifty-eight at the moment, yeah, which is yeah. just
1: wrong. Yeah, that
0: really, and a lot of that if you skip down the list, seems to be the fact that it's bottomed out by the Christian Science Monitor (laughs) scoring at 25. um, But even even taking that into account, I feel like um, I guess a lot of these reviews were probably posted at the time, and I was actually surprised at how negative some of the reactions were.
1: Yeah, um, there's also possibly too, I think it's quite well known that Tom Clancy's never been particularly happy about how things have been handled in adaptations of his work. Hmm. Um, not that's a particularly unusual thing to hear from an author, but um, mm. given Tom Clancy's a right wing nut job, I'm going to just happily ignore him anyway. Well, um, it was
0: he popped his clogs, didn't
1: he? Yeah, last year, the year before. Yeah, yeah so because yeah. um, fortunately, I think it's easy to think that any military based film can be considered right wing, but uh, mm-hmm. I think for the large part. His politics, um and I've never actually read any of his books, so maybe they're not in there either. But his politics never certainly seem to be in his films that much.
0: No, it has to be said that there's no sort of uh, great right wing agenda here. In fact, if anything, quite the opposite. It's, <laughs> yeah, especially the, the, when you get the overwhelming message of this film is is uh, tolerance and yeah, understanding.
1: Absolutely, which is comes back in like *The Sum of All Fears* too. Very much the same sort of thing there, which is yeah, very much a bit more sort of um liberal and wet, really, compared to you know, right wing hawks or anything. Yeah, um, absolutely, but. Yeah, so you're saying that it's got some low scores which I don't understand because it's, I mean, it's no Citizen Kane obviously yeah. but it's an exceptionally competent um, action-adventure thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's got really compelling performance from Sean Connolly, who, you know, accent aside, is a great actor and it's very entertaining to watch. You've and a $20,000 hairpiece. Yeah, um, then you've got Alec Baldwin just really starting to make his name in Hollywood, being really good in it.
0: Yeah, and that's the biggest shock of this, even more so than Tim Curry appearing, in it, is that I'd forgotten young Alec Baldwin is, is like barely recognizable in this.
1: Yeah, there's um, sort of a heaviness to him and I don't like in fantasy because it's like he just seems a more weighty person even from like Glenn Geiger and Ross onwards and in this he's he's Mm. so slight he's like a boy and it's like oh it's just weird
0: yeah it's really weird it's Mm. almost as weird as the fact that when he leaves for his flight at the start of the film he chooses to dress as a slightly updated Captain Birdseye but (laughs) (laughs) that's That a metaphor,
1: (laughs) analogy rather.
0: (laughs) Um, That aside, actually, yeah, and the surprising thing for me as well is that given sort of, I suppose it's probably fair to say that um, you know, in the period after this film, I guess Alec Baldwin's very much known as an alpha male character, right? Mm. And that's very much how he portrays himself. Actually, revisiting this film now for the first time since I was well, I mean, I guess you know, like in my early teens, really. Now with hindsight, I actually appreciate I think that, and we'll come to talk About this a bit later, but I'd probably say that Alec Baldwin Gives the best portrayal of Jack Ryan as well I feel like he's um, In this movie, he's not he, he doesn't give the sort of The wet behind the ears Kind of the bizarre age Versus experience thing that Harrison Ford um, comes out with in his sort of muddled performances, He's he is a little Bit wet behind the ears in this Alec Baldwin His inexperience shows through And mm-hmm. um, but it never seems incompetent. He's just engaging enough. And he's also not he's not he's not given enough focus to detract from the actual the the ebb and flow of the movie itself. The movie sort of propels itself forward at this really quite certain pace and and I feel like his character's weighted just right so that you're always aware of his involvement and he's part of driving that plot forward. In fact he's a big part of it. But he's he's never his performance never detracts from what's happening on screen.
1: No, it is pitched just right to him and because mm. and it seems to work for the character for me too. Is that he's not cocky. No. Um, he's not no. cocky at all. He's maybe even a bit unsure of himself, but he knows that he's right. Um, he's got the courage of his convictions, but he's absolutely not arrogant about it. Yeah, um, And that comes across really well and Alec Bolton's performance, I would say.
0: I think re- refresh my memory here because when I sat down to start watching these movies, and even after I watched them, I found myself sitting there thinking, "Yeah, sorry, what exactly is Jack Ryan again?" Is he CIA?
1: He's CIA. He's an analyst. He's um, an analyst for the CIA. Yeah, he's a right. former okay. marine, which um, as it comes up in is this is the film that focuses. They mentioned it that at some point in this, isn't apart it, yeah. from um, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, because it shows what happens. and mm-hmm. Sort of update the fact that it was on a had a helicopter crash in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, did the last year he's a cannery from the hospital and learned to walk again. So they give you a wee bit of a backstory there about this sort of determination of the character. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so he's working, he's a CIA analyst, but he seems to have a kind of friendship with Admiral Greer. Um, mm. Or sort of gets on his radar anyway. That is the kind of a, comes. it's almost like he's become his protege. That seems to be it during the Harrison Ford ones, particularly. You get the feeling that they've been working together for a long time. A and long time, yeah. Sort of grooming them. Well, Grimmie's not great training, possibly. Mm. Um, but yeah, CIA analyst who just in the wrong place at the wrong time or possibly the right place at the right time depending on your yeah. point of view I think um,
0: I, I think the mistake people make in this film is I've seen a lot of criticism levelled at John McTiernan saying that he brought none of his flair from um and skill that he displayed in Die Hard to this movie and I, I think that's really really disingenuous. It's not that there aren't things wrong with this movie I made a couple of notes especially around the script. There's a tendency for the script in places to suddenly stall and uh, and indulging exposition, exposition. Mm-hmm. I think the, f- the first instance of that is when um, Ryan goes to see the guy in the uh, the the sub manufacturing facility for um, for his opinion on the the drive that they've they've noticed. Yeah, on. there's are the, because
1: even just like a little bit just for that too. It's like. Look at this little submarine he's testing. Pay attention. This will yeah, be
0: important ex- later. Yeah, exactly. That's the note I've made. It's like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm just putting this universal docking collar on a rescue sub so that it can dock with any sub. British, German, trails off. Hmm. It's like, okay, I wonder if that's going to be important. Does,
1: that's a little um, artless, that section, I would say. But um,
0: It is. And it, it hiccups every now and again as well. And again... It, People have pointed at McTiernan's direction and said, look, any sort of credit in this film really goes to Jan de Bont's <coughs> cinematography. And let me be clear here as well, that working together, John McTiernan and Jan de Bont, um, and this this film more than, probably even more than diehard, I think, and it must be, it must be to do with the confined spaces and the close focus, um, it's immediately apparent that he's shooting on anamorphic, and... The just the the style and the aesthetic of that lens and the sort of cramped atmosphere of the submarine is just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that anamorphic lens flare, which what's-his-chops, J.J. Abrams, goes out of his way to fake with absolute abandon, like a, like a kid with a squeaky button. And <laughs> um, honestly, this is how it should be done. And I can't, I yeah. watched this film and I thought, I tell you what, this is what I can tell you now. This must be one of JJ Abrams touchstones, um, for his visual style in that respect. Um, but when you see it done properly here, actually with anamorphic equipment, uh, which is the only way you legitimately get that kind of lens flare, it, um, it's, it's a beautiful thing to behold. And actually, I find that for all the, um, For all the issues that the film has, minor issues, it's not necessarily the visual appeal that um, papers over them. Um, I honestly think that John McTiernan's direction... I, it's nowhere near as workmanlike as some people make out. I actually think he deserves the credit for propelling the thing along at such a tight pace, um, that you don't really care about those things so much. So, yeah, credit where credit's due. I really, really enjoyed rewatching Red October, and, um, it's, I think I'm gonna, I <laughs> think I'm gonna drop it into a folder on my network drive somewhere, and I'm pretty sure I'll come back and watch it again. Good man. What is it? I mean, what is, if you were to sum it up, what is it about this film? I mean, I know you're, you're a fan of submarine films, but,
1: um, I don't know. It's just, I find that, and even though I've watched it so many times and I know how it ends and how it goes, I mean, I basically know this film off by heart. Um, mm. But I just find that every time I watch it, the tension still works. That, I don't know, it's, and this will sound like damn it with fate and praise, but it's just quite incredibly competent. Mm. Um, and it really sounds like I'm underselling that there. But mm. I just find that everything about him, it, I mean, it looks nice. I just love the claustrophobia feeling, claustrophobic feeling of being in a submarine, but without it being, mm. Sort of overwhelmingly so. Mm-hmm. Then just like the the characters are interesting, well played. Just I, I always find Sean Connery very watchable, but mm. um, I don't know. Yes, trying to think of something more, um, more than some sp- of its parts, probably possibly more praiseworthy than it's um, it's competently done. Yeah, you know, it's just it's good, isn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can't ask for more praise than that. <laughs> Oh, man. So I guess um, let's move on to the second entry in the franchise then, which was the first of two concurrent um, Philip Noyce entries. Uh, Philip Noyce, the director of Patriot
1: Games. We might lump these two together too because in themselves they're actually quite thin and they also suffer from many of the same faults. But yeah, Mm -hmm. so the first one is 1992's Patriot Games where... uh, your Alec Baldwin has had a bit of a makeover and now looks like Han Solo which Mm. is a bit of a um, difference. Mm -hmm. Now this one is another film where accents actually come into and uh, in a more style more worthy of criticism this
0: time Mm. We're in devil's own territory here. This is bad
1: And it's based on a Tom Clancy novel but this seems like such an, an odd twist for the series to have taken and it's just its second entry when you're going from, you know, Cold War politics and what might be called espionage trying to get into the submarine to look at yeah. it without the Russians ever finding out. And then suddenly you have Jack Ryan being involved with the IRA or well, an offshoot of the IRA for reasons.
0: Yeah. It's not that there's not potential in the in the story. I think it's just it falls it very much falls foul of that typical sort of um eighties, nineties um hollywood cack-handed um attempt at approaching the the problems in northern ireland mm. um with none of the none of the necessary sensitivity or the objectivity on either side um and yeah you're in the same territory as uh devil's own and to a lesser extent because that almost played as an out-and-out comedy uh blown away but i'm thinking about that more in terms of the accents and the, just the general sort of papering over of the, uh, the the bigger picture of what was actually happening there. was a yeah, terrible tendency for Hollywood to oversimplify what was happening in that country at the time.
1: It's a very, oh, oh cat candy is one good way of putting it, mm. but a very, very basic handling of it without any idea of nuance or depth or actually anything to do with the troubles in Northern Ireland at all. It's mm-hmm. like, well, the IRA tried to blow up people, right? Yeah, well, we'll just stick Jack Rye in the middle of that. Yeah, okay. there must have and been a reason for it. So they do that, and then that's how the film begins with uh, Jack Ryan saving a member of the royal family from being bombed by the IRA, mm-hmm. kills Sean Bean's brother. and Sounds like trouble. And then the whole IRA thing is more or less dropped because it's largely an irrelevance for the entirety of the rest of the film and yeah. it becomes a revenge story uh, and a deeply mundane one at like that.
0: Which begs the question, why bother with that setting and that setting exactly, anyway? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Why touch something so
0: And that's it that seems dangerous that seems hypocritical of me because I've gone and pointed out the fact that, you know, the handling of that is so cack handy, but honestly I would I would almost rather they'd gone all in. Mm-hmm. and tackled yep. that subject even if it was in a bad way than just to to this pointless pointless setup
1: yeah that's that is basically all it is because the rest of it's an irrelevance it's um there it could be anybody and anything um it's just a case of at that point sean bean is looking for ways to kill jack ryan mm-hmm. and so possibly speaking him in that accent would probably do it you just need <coughs> to just speak them on the phone for a while but, i think
0: um, um i feel like harrison ford kind of Never, never really fits into his character skin, in, in this or or Clear and Present Danger. No. Yeah, I feel like he kind of bumbles through this film hand in hand with Philip Noyce. Like the character of Jack Ryan in this movie is very much keeping pace with the director, and the the pair of them are holding hands, tripping through a a, a quagmire of um, uh, just clumsy plotting and uh, and just in some cases like risible dialogue.
1: Yeah, the thing is, to um, Jack Ryan is repeatedly referred to as a Boy Scout. You know, because he's, yeah. he's deeply honourable, which um, comes into even more clear and present danger. He will mm-hmm. He's always going to do the right thing, and Harrison Ford absolutely can pull that off. Right, he can, he can yeah. do the integrity, but he he plays it like the cart. Like he should be fifteen years younger.
0: Yeah, this is my problem with it. Is that Harrison Ford is the, the sort of the. Um, the wetness of the Jack Ryan character in this film is completely at odds with Ford's actual age. It's it's hard to because even when he was filming this, I mean Ford was, what, fifty or something like that? But he would have been in his early fifties or something. Around it have to be. I'll let you do the math on that while I prattle on. But he kind of yeah, um, fifty exactly. Yeah. So it's it's hard it's hard to reconcile the, a a guy of that age who must have a certain level of experience yeah, actually I mean. actually I, appearing so wet or you know wet around the ears.
1: Alec Baldwin was probably pushing it. He pulled it off, mm-hmm. and it absolutely worked for um, Christopher Pine. Yeah, and largely worked for Ben Affleck actually, but for Carson Ford, no, is the Boy Scout thing and being honourable he can pull off but he was just the character's a bit too naive for a man yeah. his age um, in the He role. almost
0: should have been this this 50-year-old guy going about wearing a scoutmaster's uniform actually. Yeah. Uh that would be an interesting uh, that would be an interesting take on it. Um yeah there's actually for a film that that sells itself on suspense there's actually very little suspense. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, the direction is I wouldn't even go so far as to say it's workmanlike. It's uh, it's kind of even falls short of that to be honest in a lot of places and I think overall it um it doesn't quite fall flat on its face, but it's very, very uninspired. Very uninspired. Yep. Um, although it did do, I think uh, it did do bigger box office than uh, Red October. I might be right. I might be wrong. But certainly enough so that it propelled um, Ford and Noyce forward to uh, Clear and Present Danger.
1: Yeah.
0: Featuring a paycheck collecting uh, what's his chops? What is his chops? Flipping hell, it's gone right out of my head. Willem Dafoe? Yeah, that's it. 1994, Clear and Present Danger, featuring a clearly paycheck collecting Willem Dafoe.
1: Yeah, nobody is particularly enthusiastic in this film, are they? Um, no. Not actually going this through time, the, the. This bases. time, Jack takes a trip to South America. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this time, at least there's a bit more of a plot um, than there mm. is in Patriot Games. This yeah. time. Uh, a friend of the presidents of the United States gets murdered by some drug dealers, turns out he's a drug dealer himself, and um, in the, the great tradition of presidents, he wants it hushed up, all these presidents on film, mm-hmm. um, he wants this hushed up and investigated, but hushed up and old Boy Scout Jack Ryan, who's just as wet behind the ears here as he was in Patriot Games. Mm-hmm. Is told to go and investigate it, and who still
0: who still seems like a rabbit in the headlights in the face of even the slightest action, despite everything that happened in that
1: movie. Yep, absolutely. And again, if you're you're assuming that this is meant to be a continuation of the characters in the Hunt for Red October, because James Earl Jones is still in it, so there's some continuity there. So presumably, yeah. it's meant to be as the same character, just a different which, actor.
0: Which by this point just feels really disjointed. Mm-hmm.
1: But it's like so he was involved in taking over a nuclear submarine. <laughs> so you shouldn't be quite so fussed by this uh, yeah and then it's sort of I mean this one's got some interesting ideas too And not that they haven't been done a thousand times before but you've got sort of the, the political intrigue and the backbiting in Washington you
0: have at least also got the uh Got the slap in the face of a, a kid's birthday party being blown up by a laser-guided missile as well.
1: Which will put a crimp in any kid's day.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Wasn't expecting to unwrap that this morning.
1: Yeah, so there's, like, interesting bits now in there, like, because I mean, in this case, it's about South American drug dealers, um, Colombia in this instance. And, you know, he's investigating that, and there's deals to do, you know, sort of, basic private wars to... Make the mm. problem go away and give people political capital and stuff, and it's all like potentially really interesting, and it just never joins up.
0: No, again, I, it's just that it's very flatly directed,
1: very flatly directed and flatly acted as well. Just, there's there's no there's absolutely no energy in this film from anybody or anything.
0: No, any time any of the action set pieces pick up, and um, you hope that it might deliver a bit of a thrill. The whole sort of thing of Ford's performance, um, and I suppose I I think. I feel like it's designed to to draw us into the action and have us empathize with Ford and the way that he feels kind of, you know, a fish out of water in the midst of these scenarios and stuff. And it's supposed to place us there and the tension and the fear with him. And it just has absolutely the opposite effect. Honestly, any time things kicked off in this film and he was in jeopardy, I find myself rooting for the guy with a gun. <laughs> I really just thought, yeah, just let him have it. Just wipe him out. Just wipe him out and carry on with the plot without Ryan.
1: The big problem is to, um, right, As it's, it's the Boy Scout thing, because it gets mentioned, that phrase gets mentioned a lot in this film in particular. Mm. Um, so, you know, he's too naive for Washington. Um, you know, he's to watch his back, and what he does is he does the honourable thing. And all of which would, or should be, kind of a compelling character to watch. You know, he's not going to play the politician's game. He's going to do the right thing. It's always nice to see. He's a, he's a maverick, damn it. Yeah, but... Just a very boring. <laughs> that's, that's, you just you watch it, it's like uh, I just kind of don't care. Just yeah, go, go I honestly show some emotion or something, but it's like uh, go on, record that message we caught of the bad guy talking to the politician. Uh, yeah, but we should probably not do that. Oh, Let's do this. It's that, it's that kind of. It feels like that sort of tone for the whole film from Harrison Ford.
0: There are points in this film where he uh, he pulls on the righteous stick of you know I'm going to do what's morally right. Where if I were the character that he's addressing, I honestly find myself thinking, <laughs> "I really, Ryan, go and get your dad." But um, yeah, do you know what? For me, the sad thing is this film. Patriot, Patriot games is most memorable for me because I remember when it was coming out at high school there was a girl I really fancied and she'd expressed that she might want to see it and I kind of almost made my first effort ever to ask a girl out and <laughs> which which, but believe me was nothing close to actually asking but insinuated that it might be quite cool to go and see it together and then she went on holiday for a fortnight, came back and announced that she'd seen it on the ferry and that was that <laughs> That's that's what Patriot Games is most memorable for. Clear and Present Danger is most memorable for the fact that to this day, I can still make my mum laugh by saying, the machine is still on, Moira. <laughs> so there you go. A little bit of Eastman oh, family trivia that, for
1: that, you. That was an, uh, also an uncanny um, <laughs> thing of Yoko de Almeida. Uncanny impersonation there, well done. <laughs> thanks,
0: thanks very much. That and it's got my favourite sort of, um, it's got my favourite go-code um Exchange between two soldiers in the film, the frankly bizarre lines: "The chicken is in the pot," and the response, "Cook it," (laughs) which for some reason (laughs) has stuck in my head ever ever since. But yeah, there's there's a there's in particular there's a scene here which is supposed to obviously um, create great emotional uh, and dramatic tension, um, where some marines are essentially left um, to die uh, on purpose. They're stranded on purpose. In a a situation where really there's no hope for them And well It turns out that yes there is no hope for them Um, And it's clearly meant to be This great uh, To deliver a great um, depth of emotional Gravitas and I think at the point at which that kind of falls flat on its face you find yourself thinking yeah, yeah. can we just uh, can we just get to the denouement now really surprising and considering the sort of box office that Ford was doing at the time um really disappointing I just feel like you never really fit this character yeah. um whether that's whether that's his fault or equally that of uh, Noyce as a director but clearly they thought they'd done well enough to to pair the two together a second time
1: yeah I mean, there's something even if you look at then if you listen I I um, urge you to do this too. Go into IMDb and look at the poster that's displayed f- um for this film, right? And Harson Ford is possibly the least interested I've seen him look in anything ever on the poster for the film. In
0: <laughs> See? <laughs> I think we found our thumbnail in it. Each- I don't. Know. I don't remember him looking quite so. Um, I don't know. Is he sad? Is he confused? Is he angry? I it's, a, it's,
1: a, it's like sort of slightly sullen, slightly bewildered. Like, what am I doing here? And he looks like someone's just taken his football away. Yeah. Well, the rest of us more just like, I really can't be bothered with this, and I'm just bored and tired and sad. Go away now. And that's the, wrapped, that's the poster image. Somebody thought who wrapped a me in idea. this flag? Yeah. Who
0: wrapped me in this flag?
1: So that's the thing. I think that just sums up the whole. Production of the movie, that's how they ended up with their picture. That <laughs> like nobody I cared about anything.
0: <laughs> that tagline on the poacher, uh, poacher, <laughs> the poacher? <laughs> on the poster. <laughs> the tagline on the poster, truth needs a soldier. And I feel like scribbling underneath it on the screen of my phone, oh well, Harrison Ford will have to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think it's fair to say we, we both consider uh, the Harrison Ford ones a, a huge disappointment. They're really, there's st- I mean, crazy, clear and present danger just a massively higher Metis critic score than the one for Red October. Wow. Just proving what nonsense, um, Metacritic is. 100 October fifty-eight out of a hundred Metacritic score for *Clean Present Danger* seventy-four.
0: What did the *Christian Science Monitor* have to say about it? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. I tell you. <laughs> there you go. That's the only reason it succeeds in that regard.
1: But, um, yeah. So I mean, maybe you can even just say their their disappointments in as much as. There was possibly the seed of an interesting idea in there, but it wasn't much. I mean, other films have had much more interesting seeds and failed to deliver. This more just like maybe, maybe there was something at one point, maybe no, okay, but then the rest of the film just kills it dead. Yeah. Um, so I don't even think they're disappointed. they're just downright bad. Yeah. So we did we jump quite a bit next then for um,
0: we do. It was a good
1: eight years, eight before, years before they yeah, for... approached
0: the uh, subject of Jack Ryan again with what was I suppose a big attempt at a reboot, yes, right?
1: Jack Ryan, the rebooting. Thing. Yep. Mm. Um, the is the sum of all fears. Which and this is really as a reboot. Uh, you've got you know really,
0: it's a reboot because <laughs> the the thing that screams reboot most is that Morgan Freeman has replaced James Earl Jones. Yes,
1: like I say, Morgan Freeman, if I the James Earl Jones like role. <laughs> um, ben Affleck as. <laughs> Jack, Ryan. <laughs> Jack Ryan. Jack <laughs> Ryan. Oh, 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 oh. uh, it's just not been a good day, all in all. I've been doing that all day, that sort of thing. Okay, um, okay, but yeah. So Jack Ryan is a younger, um, again, wet behind the ears Jack Ryan. To be honest, actually, if you look at the series, he's never really got a chance to mature mm-hmm. the character. Um, if um, Chris Pine's going to do another one next, we'll find out if he gets to do that, but.
0: He's a Peter Pan of CIA analysts. Yeah.
1: So again, we've got, yeah, your your Jack Ryan is a CIA analyst, again, very low ranking, but who comes up with a novel theory about what's going on in the Kremlin. You know, his, mm-hmm. his special subject is Kremlinolo- Kreml- Kremlinology. <laughs> um, <laughs> then sort of, again, as in the way of all of these things, finds himself in the middle of some really big things going on this one goes a bit bigger than either the Harrison Ford ones went it's more like the hunt for Eric Taube in this regard it's about nuclear weapons and imminent war and I think it one of the reasons it's more successful actually is because it is going bigger and it just seems to work for the character more because he's lost mm. um so
0: I have, I have quite a. I have. It's not my favorite in the series because having now revisited um, Red Red October so recently, mm-hmm. um, I actually think that's quite clearly the best in the series. But um, again, Metacritic score wildly out of whack. Forty-five, for this one. yeah, yeah, which I think is the lowest of the series. Yeah. I actually, I, I actually think this is a much more competent movie.
1: I've have ever since I saw it the first time, and I've watched it several times since I've had a. Um, great deal of respect for some of all fears yeah um, I think
0: for me what works better about it is it's the return to that Red October thing of less it's less about putting Jack Ryan in the field of action and more having him do his job as analyst yeah It'd be the guy who's seeing things um, in the corridors of power that other people aren't it relies more on his um, intelligence yeah, exactly. <laughs> than, than really his so his, than his skill in handling a weapon yeah yeah, because absolutely. that's
1: the character is an analyst um, and yeah. you know it's his insight and stuff because the, at the end of the hunt for Red October, he's got that gunfight, but basically that's the only action he's involved in for the film. Yeah, um, yeah. and that's just because he happens to be there at the end. And you know, uh, Ben Affleck isn't involved in that at all. He's just sort of caught. Well, apart from the fight in the warehouse, mm-hmm. um, with the assassin from the the neo Nazis that are plotting the whole thing. That's it. Um, but yeah, it's it's the character is more interesting not because he's an action hero, but yeah. because he's this analyst who can look at things other people can't and. Um, you know,
0: and again, we're we're back to the Red October thing of the, the stakes. The stakes essentially being world war. Yeah, um, it's a massive, massive game of geopolitical chess, um, in which he's just a very small but important piece.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely that. It's some. It's what um, Phil Alden Robinson here has managed to see, as John McTiernan did in Hunt for Red October too, is very, very effectively building tension mm-hmm. that is yep. completely absent in the Philip Noyce entries, and so. And you know, for Red October. You've got the the potential for war. The um, Russian Navy is almost on top of the U S. Navy. Then you've got the build up with stalin Skarsgård's Konovalov submarine, kind of potentially blowing them up at the end. And the man on in the miss the, the saboteur in the missile silo in the in the Red October. So that's mm-hmm. all building. And in this, you've got I mean almost you're on the brink, minutes away from nuclear war. And there's no, not even any action on that bit. It's Jack Ryan sitting at a typewriter, basically. Yeah, basically uh, trying to send telex messages. Yeah, or exactly. And there's <laughs> there's more tension in 10 seconds of that than there's in the entirety yeah. of Clear and Present Danger.
0: And this is at the point after we've set off a nuclear weapon on American soil. Yeah. Um, they still, at which point you'd think all tension goes out of the game, but it manages to carry on. And that's quite early. It, <laughs> it manages to build tension ha- after that using a typewriter. Point. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, the halfway point, a nuclear bomb goes off and actually that's not, the, the tension begins there rather than ends.
0: Yeah, which is quite an impressive feat in yeah. anyone's book, I think, if you if you sit back and view that objectively. Yeah, I think this film's had a really raw deal and I can't help but feel part of that was because there was kind of a, an anti affleck vibe going about yeah, it. Yeah, I was going right. to mention
1: that too. But I never understood He's a, that. He was a
0: victim of that whole Bennifer thing. Yeah,
1: but uh, people keep mentioning that to me. That was never a thing for me. I never understood that. Yeah. And I'm always like it, Ben it, Affleck.
0: When did Ben Affleck ever let us down? The answer is never, and you should all be thoroughly ashamed of yourselves.
1: <laughs> well, that's the thing. I never got that. I mean, the first time I remember seeing Ben Affleck was Good Will Hunting, which was excellent. Um, still one of my favorite films. And mm-hmm. um, this is not that many years after that, um, but one of the first sort of things he did where he was the lead. Um, yeah. And I thought at the time he was great in it. I still think that. I still think it's a... a um a really, really good quality thriller has superb levels of tension it. Margaret yeah. Freeman obviously always watched one. This isn't one of his oh I need a new speedboat performance. He's like Dreamcatcher or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's actually for a, for a
0: big for a for a well I suppose a medium budget like studio picture that isn't relying on someone who at the time was like a dub you know a triple A star or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um it's actually it, it punches far above its weight. And uh well I hope people might go back and um who who perhaps think they didn't enjoy it the first time might go back on this. Uh sort of go back and, and view this again and, and reassess that and I hope they come away feeling a little bit a little bit more satisfied by it because even on like say even on repeat viewing in the years in between, like I kind of I kinda of looked forward to I think I almost looked forward to viewing this um if not as as much as uh, Red October, then potentially even more mm-hmm. coming back and revisiting this film. Yeah, um because I do have kind of a soft spot for it.
1: Yeah, I really like it. Um and I say I say the tension's really good because 'cause you've got the a film has got to be considered successful if you can build tension from a man at a typewriter, right? A telex yeah. machine. Um and there are other bits to me again, even and it's right in the middle of the film and you know so um and obviously I haven't seen it still, but the scene when Jack Ryan finds out where the bomb has gone and phones Morgan Freeman yeah. in the stadium. Yeah. That's really, yeah. really tense. It's extremely well handled. And just that and moment... Also,
0: it also actually takes a great pair of cojones to actually go ahead and pull that off as well because it's something that probably a lot of films would have shied away from.
1: Yeah, um, but yeah, it's such, it's such a powerful scene still. That, that moment when the crowd noise drops just enough for um, you to hear Ben Affleck shouting Baltimore down Morgan Freeman's phone mm-hmm. and he just looks around and... Uh, so seconds before a nuclear bomb goes off in American soil, it's so well handled, and for to have a metacritic score forty five out of hundred, that's just insane.
0: It's a joke, bloody joke. Yep. Yeah. these people should be ashamed of themselves, Drew. Yeah, um, again, like a strongly worded letter to their
1: parents. <laughs> yeah, where this succeeds again, where the Philip Noyce ones didn't, is because it's not an action film. There's yeah. action in it, but it's not an action film. And mm-hmm. again, some of the best bits uh, because the because Hunt for October had moments of humour too. Just like so simple words that could be and really tense, like when Jack is speaking to Kieran Hines, um, President Nemirov, uh, oh. and suddenly, you know, dares to speak in Russian or English to him saying, oh, I know you speak English. Yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, i so say speaking in Russian, but telling me I know he speaks English. Um, and everybody just holds Ooh. their breath for a minute. They're like, yeah, just moments like that of humour and tension. <laughs> and it's just it's so well handled.
0: Yeah. And there's this wonderful sense throughout the film that actually the Russians might appreciate Jack Ryan, like, um, his competence and his work more yeah. than his own people do. <laughs> uh, no, really, really worth revisiting. I hope people go back and view this again. Um, although, obviously, whether or not it was a contractual thing or it, it wasn't deemed successful enough, I, I feel probably financially it wasn't successful enough to re-invite director and star back for uh, the next installment. Just yeah. last year, we had uh, yet yeah, another reboot with Chris so Pine they mean, and yeah, Jack they obviously
1: Ryan's. lost... F- Empowerment must have just lost faith in the franchise or something because yeah, it had gone from uh. two years, two years, two years, eight years, suddenly twelve. Um they just completely abandoned uh. the property at all, hoping but they're just hoping people would forget some of all fears or something, despite the fact it's good. I dunno. But yeah, so twenty fourteen, last year's just saying shadow recruit then. Um with I'd say curious choice of director this one. Um well, I say that, I mean, he's actually he's quite eclectic if you look at what he's done, given he's done things like Thor 2, but Kenneth Branagh, which...
0: Kenneth Branagh as a as a, yeah, a deadly Russian yeah, oligarch. Kenneth Branagh as director, yeah. first of all.
1: Um, yeah, well, and then yeah,
0: as the director.
1: Himself directing himself yeah, as a deadly which, Russian oligarch. Um, again, maybe there is, if there's one strong theme to this series, it's terrible accents. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Branagh's done so well with them in
1: the past that he felt yeah. like taking I mean, another he's, one on. He's reasonably watchable in this, but the accent, is no... No, stop now. <laughs> yeah, so this is, you know, the second reboot of the Jack Ryan character. This time with Chris Pine, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, and it actually starts off with the helicopter crash that's mentioned in The Hunt for Red October. Uh just updated this time mm-hmm. to Afghanistan. And you, know, yep. you see him meeting um, Kathy, doing the bit in the hospital. And that bit, Probably covered better on Fred October because you just had somebody telling somebody else it happened in a couple of sentences, and that was probably enough. But it's not an awful way to begin yeah. the film. Again, you, you see the determination of the character. Um, although it's a, maybe focuses a bit too much on the romance, which not necessary for the film, I would say. But
0: No, and Kira Knightley feels <clears throat> well, I'm not the biggest fan of Kira Knightley in the world, but she feels woefully underused. Yeah, and she, out of place I don't think she's
1: bad at all in it, Jim. Just there's not a great mm. deal for her to do up until the dinner towards the end, but...
0: It's one of those roles where you think, sorry, why did they go to the what I would assume would be the expense
1: of casting Keira Knightley? Yeah, I don't know. Um, but, yes... Yeah, so hell with it <laughs> So in this <laughs> case, yeah, you see the origin story of Jack Ryan, basically. You, know, you see him recruited into the CIA by Kevin Costner, become an analyst, and then, as he's doing his job, he stumbles on some dodgy dealings in Russia, which... Um, again the stakes are quite large here it's not quite world war but it's some mm. economic warfare in this case Yeah. Um, where it does differ from um, some of all fears and Hunter Reddick though is it puts a lot more action in for Jack Ryan to be involved in um,
0: yeah I, f- I feel like this film is um, I feel like this film is very much the victim of that thing where everybody seems to have taken on board it well the the Bond franchise had to pull its socks up a bit in order to compete with Bourne, so we we're going to have to do the same. I, I feel like it was kind of going for that kind of. Vibe. It does, yeah. To, it,
1: it is very much a post Bourne film, isn't it? Uh, yeah, they're that, definitely
0: trying to strike some sort of balance between the you know the Jack Ryan we've seen previously and this thing where well he must he must be able to handle himself in a fist fight and
1: yeah, you know, clearly that fight in the hotel room.
0: Yeah, yeah, unarmed, a bit bit dangerous, with the old unarmed combat, etc., etc., and it just um, where. Where Philip Noyce's two entries were, I think, um, uninspiring, but at least I felt they were they were cohesive. If not exciting, uh-huh. then I, I almost feel like this is um, almost feel like this is flailing, it's floundering a bit in the water, really trying to figure out what it is it wants to be.
1: Yeah, um, oh, that's fair because I like, it's really it's hard um, to separate it from something like the bordetto because it's so much. Of it feels like that same sort of camera work too. Um, mm-hmm. Then yeah, the hand to hand combat it's like almost it feels like it's in there because people feel it's required as opposed to actually fits the story
0: be. yeah um, absolutely
1: um, i mean it's by no means a bad film i think it's actually pretty entertaining and you know the the actors are chris pine's like He's compelling enough yeah kevin costner um who has had his bad years but yeah, I this. really
0: actually enjoyed seeing Kevin Costner in this. I've got to be honest with you. I feel like I'm ready for more Costner yeah, again.
1: Every time, every so often, Kevin Costner will pop up and, like, for instance, maybe is it just over a decade ago in Open Range, and yeah, he'll remind yeah. you, oh yeah, this guy, this guy's good. I like this guy.
0: Um, yeah, when he's kept when he's kept in check, he's still got a lot of charisma. And when he's yeah. not sort of reveling in himself, then he's actually a really likable screen presence.
1: Yeah, he's sort of he's kind of kind of laconic here. Um, yeah, and mysterious and actually it works quite well
0: yeah he's at an age now where I think he's got a lot more gravitas to be honest with you just naturally through his appearance and kind of his, his demeanour was really well Yeah, here
1: yeah. but fortunately here they don't try and have him playing something quite the same way as Morgan Freeman or James Earl Jones characters it's no. a bit different from that so that's good it's not just like carbon copying it. they are trying mm. to change things up a little yeah uh, but yeah it's a bit of a it, it's not quite sure it's identity this film I think and again, I keep saying this, but probably it is in this post-born world, because you've got the hand-to-hand combat, then you've got the the car chase as well. And all the more interesting stuff is like the interaction between the characters, and I'm using these analyst skills again to, to see what's going on.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's fair. I think for me, probably the... I remember liking this this film at the time, like you say, at the time I watched it, I remember thinking, yeah, this is this is... This is kind of like, it's entertaining. I know this is going to be disposable. And despite the fact that, obviously, until we reviewed all of these for this catch-up podcast, I think the point at which I watched this last year, this was by far and away the most recent Jack Ryan movie I'd watched. Mm -hmm. However, it is also the one about which I remembered the least. Um, nothing really other than Kevin Costner, um, stuck in my mind about this. And even at that, I, I, up until, you know, up until revisiting these, I couldn't actually have told you what, who Kevin Costner was <laughs> in it or what he was, what he was doing. I just remember thinking at the time, like, yeah, I want to see Kevin Costner and more stuff again now. But yeah, I mean, certainly, look, as a disposable piece of multiplex entertainment, it's in and it's out in an hour and 45 minutes. It does its job. Yeah, uh, you're not going to ask for your money back, but I'd be very surprised if, um, if it did great business on home formats, if anybody particularly wants to keep and cherish this movie, yeah,
1: um, um, I would say too, um, because I think because it does go down the action route that so many films have done that it becomes less memorable. Whereas, I mean, the stuff that I remember best and it's the stuff I enjoyed most is more like the analytical mm-hmm. stuff. There's the section where they're trying to find out where the, sort of the sleeper cell guy in the United States is. And they do a bit yeah. of investigative work, and so they're trying to work out where the van was and when it was bought or taken from the it was taken from the Ford factory or something. Sort of that stuff's just so much more interesting than always yeah. um, oh, chasing after this van on a bike because I've seen that a thousand Chris- times.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think Chris Pine's um, sort of career of late as well has been very much up and down, and I, I think I kind of feel like almost this suffers a little bit from the fact that I enjoyed watching him so much in the two Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm as Kirk, I think he nailed a really nice uh, performance in both those movies um, and here I didn't, f- I didn't find him as charismatic as he can clearly be yeah, and he's very good at a sly wit and there's none of that either and I wonder if just because I enjoyed him as Kirk so much I was maybe expecting uh, too much.
1: Yeah, I mean I think he's, he's reasonably watchable in this but yeah, you've got a point because if you look at something even, I mean, it's a fairly forgettable film but surprisingly okay, which is um, This Means War um, oh, was, I was afraid you were going to say. That. Is that not terrible? It's not not terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought yeah, well, it's, no, it's it's not terrible. I
0: can't comment because I've not seen it's it. Not it's not terrible. Um,
1: yeah, well, it's got Tom Hardy and Chris Pine in it. You no, know, mm. it's kind of like but it does do that sort of that kind of charm and wit thing, and I guess a chance to do it. Whereas in so even in that just given a little bit of room to do that, it works really well for him. Yeah. And in Shadow Recruitment, it's not a bad performance, but it's it's kind of anonymous. Yeah, a little bland. Yeah, um, because he's not really giving him a chance to stretch. Because actually, there's I reckon there's a good opportunity there because Kevin Costner does get that opportunity, right? It's quite yeah. laconic, wee bit of black humour. And if they just had a chance to play those two characters off of each other, that could have been really, yeah, really good. Kind
0: of- yeah, and that would probably also deepen the understanding of the the relationship between those characters. You can understand why they're you know they're they have some sort of closeness or whatever if they see a little bit of each other um, in the other. But yeah, um, a, an interesting diversion. It'll be interesting to see where they go next. Where, where do they go next? Have there been any announcements around this? Is uh, Pine going to pick up? And I know he's I think he's contracted for another movie, right? I think so, I would just have a like, look here We should probably research things like this before we <laughs> press record But that's the magic of the edit Preparedness It's overrated <laughs> You can ready anything in advance if you're willing to be prepared
1: <laughs> um, There's nothing on the Wikipedia Never Wrong website about um, anything yeah. following Shadow Recruit So I don't know Okay so
0: where do we go from this then, Drew? I mean, do we want to see? Do we want to see Chris Pine given another chance, um,
1: or do we demand yet another reboot of the Jack Ryan franchise? Okay, well, I think a series might just be able to stand two reboots. Mm. This has had that, that. If they did it again, that would be three. Assuming you yeah. don't count Harrison Ford's a reboot, that does seem to be a continuation. No, there's, of, there's, Red there's enough continuity there, right? Yeah.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: But it's already had two, three. I think you would just lose all interest at that point. Um, yeah, you either keep on with Chris Payne or you just drop the series altogether yeah I guess in that case then
0: listening summation what are we saying I feel like I know which way you're going to go but I would suggest probably Red October as a clear winner some of all fears, uh, a, a kind of a a, a worthy second place. Mm-hmm. Yep, spot um, on. Probably, probably shadow recruit, and uh, and then your two nice movies tied for yeah, uh, which the are last right?
1: equally forgettable. Absolutely, yeah. That's yeah. Hunt for Humphrey October. Basi- <laughs> uh, I genuinely
0: basically the opposite order that their Metacritic yeah. scores would
1: suggest. <laughs> the, the Hunt Humphrey October, I genuinely love. I, I've watched that film yeah. so many times in the last twenty years, mm-hmm. and um, I still think it's just really entertaining, really well produced some of our fears had basically, because it managed it's got really high stakes but in a non sort of bond villain way <laughs> Yeah. You know um and again because it's the ones that have the least action in them are actually the most entertaining and satisfying films
0: yeah well oddly enough the ones where the character fits his role yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. And then um and I also I also want to say that um I'm stripping the movies from this completely um and actually just looking at the performances I also want to kind of say that's the correct order for the best
1: Ryan yeah, I feel do like it's, um, it's Baldwin Affleck, I feel like Baldwin's the best baldwin yeah Affleck. Athletic pain, absolutely. And then Ford just like his film's utterly forgettable.
0: I wonder then, um, is there room for a for an old Jack Ryan? Could we get Alec Baldwin back in to reprise the role now that he's older, he's wiser? And uh, let's have a let's have a thriller set more in the corridors of power. Yeah, and with maybe have him. have him delegate the action out in the field to some other character with him as the mentor now.
1: Yeah, him as um, basically the the James Greer character.
0: Yeah, I would be interested to see that. I think that's the only way really I'd, I'd get I enthusiastic that'd, that'd about the line. Yeah,
1: film. see him as yeah. the director of the CIA or something like that now and. Um,
0: True. let's get the script together.
1: Let's do that, Craig.
0: I'm going to cut this bit out of the edit so nobody steals our idea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, Craig, <laughs> time
0: it. next year we'll be millionaires. No, no, you need to leave it in, prior art. True that, true that. So I guess, yeah, the message I take from this is that this is might be a little bit of a, a dog-eared uh, franchise and perhaps it should be best put down at this point, but certainly there's a couple of movies in there that... Um, that deserve to be revisited. And I'm, I'm especially glad that I went back to red October as well, to which I have to thank you for the inverted commas loan, uh, (laughs) thereof, Drew. Um, that was uh, a really pleasant surprise to go back and find that I, I still enjoyed that movie uh, quite so much, despite its despite its minor flaws. And my message to anyone listening would be if you haven't already, or if you have and found it, um, not to your taste, go back and give the sum of all fears a second chance.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Again, if you've not, I think when we talked about this in our previous incarnation of our podcast, I think Scott and I were both of the opinion, you know, Shadow Recruit." It's nothing spectacular, it, but it's a perfectly decent, thoroughly entertaining way to spend you know, 100 minutes.
0: Yeah, um, if it's on when it comes on telly, watch it.
1: Yeah, um, again, probably not want to watch it again, but you watch it, enjoy it enough, um, even if you have to just put it up with Kenneth Branagh's accent. Mm. But uh, beyond that, yeah, the Summer of all feels right, genuinely good film and. The Hunt Red October, generally great fellow, I really do like Tim Boss. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I mean, thinking about it now, possibly some bits of the Sum of All Fears are even better than The Hunt Red October, particularly the, the two bits I mentioned where it builds tension so much, the stadium yeah. and um, the telex room, or whatever it's actually called. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're weirdly underregarded, which I do not understand. Um, no. And I don't think the Philip Noyce ones are pilloried enough, quite frankly.
0: No. No. Yeah, there you go. I'm glad we I'm glad we had time to talk about Jack Drew. Um we will be back with you guys at some point in the very near future. In fact some might say precisely ten days from now, um with another installment of the podcast. But until then thank you very much for listening. I was Craig and Drew was Drew. Adios. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you very much.